Thank you for listening. This is Israel Rebound, a podcast joining Jews and others in Nebraska to Israel, exploring the ties that bind us through culture, identity, and current events. I'm Alan Padesh in Omaha, and I'm joined with my co-host, Liz Felstron in Jerusalem. Liz, how are you? Hi, Alan. Doing very well. How are you? Good. It's good to see you again. Uh, we had a wonderful conversation last week about the budget and about Sufganiyo donuts. Uh, I'm going to just ask you off the bat here. So did you have any donuts this week? Yeah, sample any more Sufganiyot? I did. I felt like it was finally close enough. You know, we're only like two weeks out, so it's not too crazy to start eating the Sufganiyot. I am. Um, my... I think I mentioned last week that even if I wanted to, I don't think I could manage to have one of each of the many flavors that are available. So I've I, uh, decided that the best way to try and sort of do that <laughs> is to not eat a whole soup ganyat. So I've been buying like three at a time and cutting them into thirds, like three different ones, and cutting them into thirds. And then sharing them with the kids. So um, so I had a, a few so far. I had a sort of classic butterscotch. I had a chocolate one. I had, what did we get the other day? Oh, we got a Napoleon one and a Mozart one and a Ferrero Rocher. What's a Ferrero Rocher? Ferrero Rocher is, you know, inspired by the candy. Um, so it has um, a hazelnut cream on the inside and chocolate on the top with, I guess, little pieces of hazelnut in it. And then it had like a gold candy. It was all edible on top, but it sort of looked like the Ferrero Rocher wrapper that you buy, you know, around globe of gold um and it and it, it was good so if you divided it into thirds you have three kids so who didn't get a little bite well no so if we divide them into three and there are three of them that means they're nine pieces oh i so see can, oh okay yeah. so we <laughs> we can each taste two at a time and then there's one left for whoever still has room. And Yonatan hasn't been getting any. Why is that? You know, you snooze, you lose. <laughs> so so of the three different Sufganiyah that you um, selected, which one did, did the kids uh, and you feel like it was the right one to have? You know, so far... The kids were big fans of the classic strawberry jelly. I don't know, surprising or not surprising, but they like the classic. I guess there's a reason why it's remained on the menus all these years. Uh, I'm not a strawberry jelly fan, so I actually didn't even taste that one. I did like the classic butterscotch. There's something to the classic ones. I don't know. Maybe they have more filling because they don't have a lot on top. I don't know what it is. They're good. Well, I haven't had the pistachio. I still need to. That has to happen. So you did send a picture of another uh, bakery with different uh, sufganiyot. These did not look as fancy as the 
ones you sent last week. So we don't need to get too in depth about the difference of quality of one bakery over the other, but I, I did notice that they were just not as fancy as the other ones you had sent. Was that true or am I just not reading into the uh, detail of the ingredients? still pretty fancy they got you know stuff on the inside stuff on top different kinds of ganache multiple chocolates there's a cheesecake there's a cheesecake flavor that's exciting and there's also a red velvet which i think of as a very midwest thing i never heard of red velvet until living in omaha so maybe that resonates with people i don't know how it made its way to israel and in Sufkaniya form, that's like cultural. So, <laughs> I don't know how that happened, but it's very cool. So did you did you have a red velvet one? I did not have a red velvet yeah. one because it's. Important. I don't really understand red velvet in general. Actually, it's, dev- it's a it's a red devil's food cake mix. Uh, so we, we could we could di- digest that. We could um, <laughs> dissect that at a future time, but. It's interesting in the photograph that you sent me, the red velvet is the only one that's labeled in English, similar to last week when we looked at the one that was the um, Dazzle. I can't remember the exact name of it, but that one that was also. Royal Truffet or yeah, something. Yeah. yeah. That, those that are the is only. Funny. So Why is to, there one English? Which, which kind of leads me well, into the next. Either, at least they should have one donut they can order. <laughs> it's a, yeah. Which kind of leads me into my next question to you as as we as we talk about jewish identity i know that you know everybody comes from a different place in the jewish world and israel is a collection of people from all over the world right now there are conversations about um more ethiopians coming to israel we won't need we don't need to get into that today but i want to link back a little bit to the history of the diaspora it's a museum that used to be in tel aviv it's still in tel aviv but they moved it to I think it's Tel Aviv University. Um, you can expand on that a little bit more. But for anybody traveling to Israel in the 70s, 80s, and 90s, you took a, a tour of the Museum of the Diaspora, and it really jumped into the culture and identity of Jews from around the world. Um, you remember that museum at all, Liz? So I don't remember having... Um, been at this museum. I was there a couple of years ago when it was already under renovation and there was only a small part that was open, um, obviously from their existing collection. So I did see, you know, some of what was the classic part of the museum. I know, you know, a lot of people remember the dioramas that the museum was famous for, these glass-enclosed historic scenes, and also uh, quite large uh, but scale models of different synagogues from around the world. And so I saw those when it was under renovation, and those still are part of the museum. Uh, But it's really an amazing renovation that they did, right? They spent 10 years and something like a hundred million dollars and they completely changed the museum starting from its name right instead right. of being the museum of the diaspora which was not easy to say their new name is anu 
as in anachnu, like us, the Hebrew word for us, and uh, the museum of the Jewish people. So not about Israel, not about diaspora, but about the Jewish people everywhere and at all times throughout history. And that's really what they attempted to to showcase in this museum, which if you think about it, is a mighty undertaking. It is. And and I I remember the museum the very first time that I saw it in the 70s, not to date myself, but uh, I remember a really big graphic wall that if your grandparents came from, you know, the Palo Settlement or they came from um, Argentina or from someplace, there was the track of how the different generations of people ended up in different places. And there was one exhibit that I paid attention to that said, if your grandparents or great-grandparents came from Ukraine and went to America and your others went to Israel, you know, you could see the different pathways of those individuals. So that was really the first time that I realized that um, Jews from around the world have ended up in different places and could still be related. And now with 23andMe, the genetic testing, I've mm-hmm. got like 5,000 cousins scattered all over the world. And whenever wow. I look, whenever Prolific I family. <laughs> well, you know, that dates back several thousand years. But when, it, when I click on that app and I see my, you know, my relatives in a sense, it reminds me of that graphic at the museum that, you know, we all started someplace and we've scattered about the world. Um, so any any impressions from the new museum that you have that you want to share? Sure. So first of all, it's quite large and there's so much to see. I was there for a couple of hours and I feel like I probably only scratched the surface. I mean, I could have spent a lot more time there. I think you could like, I don't know, stay in Tel Aviv for a week and go back for an hour or two each day and probably see different things in the museum. Um, so I don't know, maybe they still have even some version of the family tree that you're describing and I didn't happen to see it. It's certainly possible. What they did have, which reminds me a little bit of what you're describing is a very large video installation. There's a lot of really interesting ways that technology is used and shows up in this museum. And I'll talk about another one afterwards, but don't let me forget to talk about how Jewish food is turned into a digital display in the museum. Well, we always like to talk about food, Liz, so. It it always comes back to, I mean, you can't tell the history of the Jewish people without quite a lot of food in the mix, right? Let's, let's be honest here. Okay. Um, But, but this video that I'm thinking of is a, a, a large video display and it's sort of two different screens at once. One is concave shaped and the other is convex and in an animated story of what I don't think could have been more than four and a half minutes it tells the entire history of the Jewish people from you know earliest biblical days until today and on the the concave screen uh, most of the time that looks like a map or a globe and the shape lends itself to that. And so while on one screen you're seeing um, why people went different places and what was happening in Jewish history on the 
more rounded one, you're seeing, you know, the ships that took them there and how they went and what that looked like on a map with, you know, large movements of people, um, sometimes going back and forth across the globe at different times. And I just found it to be a really engaging and smart and certainly concise way to tell a very lot of, of history in a, in a short way. Obviously, there are other parts of the museum where it's told in much more detail. Um, but that is sort of a, a quick way, you know, for certain audiences that maybe don't have the attention span to at least get some of the history. Um, there's a lot of art installations. There's a lot of culture and music and dance and fabulous artifacts. They have a guitar signed in Hebrew by Gene Simmons. You know who Gene Simmons is, From the singer Kiss. of uh, Kiss, yes. right? Who was who was born in Israel um, and signed his name in Hebrew on this guitar, which he donated to the museum. There's another guitar of Leonard Cohen's. There is a collar of Ruth Bader Ginsburg's that she donated to the museum. There are just all these really cool things that I guess in 20 or 30 years, the people who visit the museum will think of them as history. But when I see them at least now, they feel very, you know, um, actual times. They feel very current. So it's a different feel. It's not all ancient history. It's, you know, and today. So, so what, what drew you to the museum now? I am. I actually went on a, an office outing. Oh, it's not so common in, in the States, I guess, but uh, you know, we have different kinds of social benefits in Israel, right? There are just different expectations um, and I would say that for many places of work, um, and certainly anybody who works in, in the public sector, there is an expectation that your employer will take you out for like a fun day once a year or so. Um, and so our department went to the museum as part of our department, exciting fun day. Sounds great. So I just uh, put in to my browser the website for the museum. So if people are interested, it's anumuseum.org.il, A-N-U-M-U-S-E-U-M.org.il. And there, there's a great deal of information on the website already. They have a whole section on databases to learn about family history and community history. Again, I remember when I went in the seventies, and also I, I went to the, to the new museum Anu several years ago before it was done, and the representation of synagogues from around the world has always been something that's very exciting to see. Mm -hmm. uh, and in, you know, the fact that uh, whenever I travel to a, a new country, I try to pop in and see what their synagogues look like. And it reminds me of some of the examples that the museum has of past synagogues. Let's talk yeah, about let, let's talk about culture and food. Any representation of food in the museum that you saw that you could talk about? 
So yes, of course, I said, you know, we would not get out of this conversation without food. So uh, there was a whole section on food uh, with lots of different cookbooks. Um, and one of the displays is a digital display and it's a large touch screen and you can pick the Jewish food that looks interesting to you. And some of them, you know, would be very familiar to you said, you know, people coming from sort of an Eastern European background. So you can see a bowl of matzo ball soup and you can see gefilte fish, but there are also all sorts of interesting uh, Spartic dishes and Middle Eastern dishes and things that I didn't even know what they were looking at the picture. But um, you, you click on one of these foods with your hand and up comes a video of a person from that Jewish subculture to tell you a bit about the food and a memory they have associated with it. And then you, as the visitor to the museum at this digital display, get to make the food virtually. So the screen tells you, okay, here's your bowl, you know, put the flour in the bowl. And with so you your hand. So you, so you chose to make sufganiyot. I. I did not choose my sufganiyot. <laughs> I'm actually I'm not sure if there were sufganiyot, um, and I didn't pick. The tour guide picked, but then she actually did call me over to be the one to to do it. I, so I got to make injera, which is the Ethiopian bread, and so I on the screen, you know, I I slid the flour into the bowl, and then I poured the water into the bowl, and then it told me that I needed to knead the flour so on your on the screen with your hand you kind of swirl it around to get the the kneading motion and it tells you if you're doing it well enough and then it tells you to take a cloth and cover it so it can rise so you on the screen again you know slide the cloth over uh and it's very cool and and it's fun but you didn't get to see the finished product did you put it in the I, oven? Did I you? actually did not, Lamely do not get to taste it. I mean, there is no physical finished product, but I didn't even get to see how my injera looked because then the video goes into a longer thing. It has to rise for three days, apparently, oh. in Jiva. This is not a quick rise sort of thing. I'm, I don't think you actually have to stand there for three <laughs> days in the museum to see it, but you have to stand for some period of time. And our group, you know, continued on. We had a lot to see and and limited time, so we didn't uh, stick around. Maybe they didn't like the way I needed it. They thought this is hopeless. We better keep moving. But um, but uh, but it was a, a cool experience, and definitely I hope uh, to get a chance to go back to the museum. I mean, they have all these things. You know, we I think as visitors to Israel, any everybody has noticed the myriad of head coverings, for example, right? Like you're. You stand in Israel and you see so many different head coverings and you know that these have to do with different religious or ethnic groups, but you don't necessarily know exactly what's what. Well, in the new Ani Museum, there's a display with all these display cases of different types of head coverings and, and what they mean and what groups wear what. And it's really interesting. And I felt... You know, obviously they have things about the conservative movement. And so I felt like I could see myself there and connect to that as someone who grew up in the conservative movement. Uh, but I also saw in these head coverings, a kippah, a knitted kippah that looked like a basketball, 
which is the kind that my youngest is sporting these days, uh, pun intended, I guess. And so, you know, then I, again, I felt like I could literally, you know, see myself and my family in this museum, in one of these Lucite display boxes. We're here. We are part of the Jewish people. And so, of course, there is something in the museum that's going to be us and speak to us. And I hope that everybody who comes sees that. And I kind of think they will because there's so much in this museum. Well, I think that's the whole idea behind the museum when you call it Anu or the Museum of the Jewish People. We're all connected and we all have our own uh, cultural connections. You talk about the different foods. I remember not knowing that uh, there were different Passover foods that people ate other than what the Ashkenazi Jewish world ate in terms of of um, gefilte fish and, and such. Um, but it is true that, you know, we come from different backgrounds, different cultures, different places. And it's good to have a museum that kind of brings those pieces together for us to learn about our own differences, our own diversity as a Jewish people. So I'm looking forward to coming to Israel again soon and and spend some time in the museum. Um, yeah, it should be on everybody's to-do list, I think, basically, for coming to Israel. <laughs> We should say we're not being sponsored by the museum and we're not advertising for the museum. We're doing an educational uh, discussion of the museum um, and uh, just a, a fun thing. So I remember when I was in Israel three years ago, the one of the last times that I did arrive to the museum on a scooter, an electric scooter, and rode from uh, the heart of Tel Aviv to the campus of the, of Tel Aviv University, where the museum is. Nice. It was. Uh, didn't, about a, didn't you have some incident? Didn't something happen to you when you borrowed one of those scooters and break or got stolen or something? No, it must be somebody else you're thinking of. No, you didn't have some story <laughs> with the scooter. I'm sure I had a story of the scooter, but uh, I can't recall it you right know, now. No, they have them in Jerusalem now. Oh, they, that's dangerous. They do. They now have these. I mean, there have always been people riding them, but these yeah. now they have where you can check one out, you know, and pay by the hour or whatever. Um, yes, those. Yep. We now have those as well. Yes. You, you remember a story that I told you of being on a scooter in the heart of Tel Aviv and somebody running a stop sign and I had to avoid an accident. So I think that hopefully that was what you were talking about. Oh, maybe that was it. Well, thank you for your insight today. And thank you all for listening to Israel Rebound. And uh, Liz, look forward to our conversation next week. See you next week, Alan. Okay. Bye-bye. Thank you, everybody, for listening to Israel Rebound, a podcast bringing Jews and others uh, and making connections to Israel. Thank you.